0: Welcome to the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast, hosted by myself, Sebastian Bates, and Timothy Fair-Matthews. A podcast made by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. We're launching our podcast with a series of raw, but real interviews with some of the world's leading business mentors, industry experts, and entrepreneurs with incredible stories. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and entertain. So if it's your first time joining us, make sure you go back to episode one and don't miss a thing as you listen to incredible insights from our speakers. This is the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast. Hello, guys, and welcome back to today's live interview. I'm here today with Daniel Priestley. He's the founder of Dent Global with offices in the UK, USA, Singapore, and Australia. He's the author of four best-selling books, including Keepers of Influence, Entrepreneur Revolution, Oversubscribed, and 24 Assets. Um, Daniel's here today to chat with me about how we can reset and reinvent through the recession. Daniel, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is great.
0: This is gonna be good fun. I've been watching watching the 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 show. show. (laughs) <laughs> welcome I'm, to the show i'm very happy to be on
1: the show i've been watching the
0: show you have been watching the show so you're in you're in the group so you've probably seen some of the some of the previous interviews so you kind of get the style
1: yeah it's casual it's informal we can go off piste my favorite
0: <laughs> and hopefully we won't go off piste <laughs> let's see how it goes so um so yeah I'd, I'd love to i mean i've known you for many years now and you've been a massive influence in my life and um, you've you helped me and, and mentored me through some very difficult challenges within business, um, and you know the Dent program, the KPI programs, completely shaped my business over the last three years. So I, I very much feel like a product of Dent, um, and now I'm, obviously I'm a coach with um, with Dent, yeah, uh, which is a, which is a real privilege as well. Um, I'd love to I'd love to uh, give our give our audience a bit of a background on who Daniel Priestley is and how you how you got into doing what you actually do now.
1: Yeah, so I, I always loved entrepreneurship as a teenager. Um, I kind of discovered a few entrepreneurial books. I was, uh, I stumbled across a magazine in Australia. Uh, I grew up in Australia uh, and it was a magazine about the top entrepreneurs in Australia. It was called the BRW 200, um, the 200 Most Successful Entrepreneurs in Australia. And it came out once per year and I, I found it and I got really in, in kind of enthralled by the idea of starting businesses and um, all of this, and I worked in McDonald's at the time, and I worked for a franchisee for McDonald's who owned six franchises, and uh, and I used to have chats with uh, him and uh, and get really excited by the idea of one day owning a business. So that was my strange teenage years. I, I kind of had a knowing that I wanted to be in business. Um, I went and did uh, business university, uh, a business management course at university, and dropped out after year one. I was kind of, kind of shocked to discover that none of the people teaching the course had ever actually had a business. They were all academics. Um, and that really kind of um, felt uh, like a bit of a letdown. Uh, and I was so lucky. I really, really was just incredibly lucky that uh, through friends of the family, my dad heard about someone who was starting a new business and who wanted some people to help out. And I, uh, I drove up uh, to his house, to this guy called John's house. Um, he had this massive, beautiful home on the waterfront and, uh, you know, one of these designer homes and he had run successful businesses in the past and I had a 30-minute meeting with him scheduled. We talked for three hours and we just kind of um, really connected and he was he was 37, 38 at the time. I was 19 at the time and we really connected and I basically, I was just passionate to be part of a startup. So, we were pre-revenue um, sitting around the kitchen table, plotting, scheming, scheduling, uh, and uh, I threw myself at that. I worked really long hours, really, really hard, anything at all that needed to be done for that business, I was in, in it. And for two years, we, uh, we grew like crazy. We went from zero to six million in sales um, in the first uh, two years. We went up to about 60 employees. Um, in the first year, I mostly did sales and marketing. In the second year, I launched a division of the business um, for regional Australia and uh, and did about 750 grand worth of uh, revenue under my division and about 175 grand of profit. And uh, basically, it was just this incredible two years of being in a in a startup and almost having an apprenticeship of fast growth. So at the end of two years, I went to John and I said, hey, uh, I just cornered him in the car park. I didn't put any thought into um, my timing and I basically said, hey, John, I've been with the business from the start and I've kind of run this division of the business that represents uh, almost 15% of our revenue. Um, could I get some shares in the business? And I caught him at the wrong time <laughs> and he basically, his answer to me, and I remember he kind of like turned on the spot and looked me straight in the eyes and he, he said, he said, Dan, if you want shares in a business, go start your own. <laughs> and... and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, uh, yeah, kind of like didn't just, I didn't clearly, I didn't pick my moment. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, the timing of
0: the pitch wasn't right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't right time, right place. So, um, <laughs> so John, uh, so, so John and I parted ways and I did, I went off and started my own business. I, um, I, I launched, I copied everything I'd learned. I'd been running my own division for a year. Um, I very much continued that business, that style of business, that approach, um, and, uh, and I was very, very lucky because of the good experience that I had for those two years. And because I was able to copy what I'd seen, uh, we grew from zero to 1.3 million in our first 12 months, um, with a team of four. And then we went from, um, about 1 million to 11 million in the following two or three years. Uh, so it was extremely fast growth. It was, it was, um, a very intense couple of years. I remember. The year before I left that business um, in Australia, we did 274 events in um, in 12 months. Uh, wow. Average event was about 200 people. Uh, you know, it was it was really 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 crazy, really intense.
0: Didn't it? Didn't it um, win an award for being the fastest growing or one of the fastest growing <laughs> businesses in Australia? Like. <laughs>
1: That was actually that was actually a completely different business um oh, really? <laughs> so i've had i've had a number of fast growth businesses since but um but but we, we never we never won awards for that business because we never had time to win awards um mm-hmm. i've never it was it was the most wild and intense ride um, of just hiring people being on planes make you know making sales um yeah taking bigger and bigger risks Uh, work hard play hard the whole team was under 30 pretty much um Mm -hmm. so it was very much kind of on the weekends we all partied together on through the week we worked together we had our favorite spots in melbourne sydney and brisbane and we just kind of like in any typical week we could be in melbourne sydney brisbane or all three um and you know it was just a it was just wild it was just a very very wild fast growth business what year was this um the the thick of it was 2000 and end of 2004 to the to January 2006 so the 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 real explosive period where we we kind of went from we kind of went from 2 million a year to a million a month in 15 months
0: wow <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty rapid isn't it
1: yeah it blew, blew up blew up
0: amazing so so then so then what happened 2006 you were you were kind of at the height of this business, would
1: you say? So we structured a deal with with the company that we were in partnership with, um, and uh, and we structured a semi exit, partial exit, um, and then we ended up in a lawsuit with them over over it and blah 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 blah. It, it was okay. It was not a bad exit. It wasn't a life changing exit. It was a was it was, a, it was um, I'd made enough money that I could do um, anything, but not nothing. Um, I could. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could go start, I could go start new businesses, I could go, you know, I was, I was in a reasonable position for a 25-year-old, but not a, you know, kind of set for life position uh, as a 25-year-old. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to, I because I'd been flying non-stop between Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, I wanted to kind of travel and see the rest of the world, so I uh, decided I was going to move to London. Um, I did a deal with a guy called Roger Hamilton to launch his business. I'd seen him speak in Australia, and I thought it would just be a fun little hobby business to take him into London and start um, doing Wealth Dynamics workshops in London. Um, and then I saw another speaker called uh, Dr. John D. um, who was like a personal development. So we basically had a business development speaker and a personal leadership development speaker. Um, so in 2006, 2007, I launched Triumphant Events UK. Um, and it blew up as well. So we went from zero to 4 million in like two years. Um, so it was yeah. once again, we were in fast growth mode. Um, so we're doing about 2 million a year of sales with John and 2 million a year, um, uh, with, uh, with, yeah, Roger and 2 million with, uh, with John. Um, so that was, that was kind of a wild, uh, another wild growth story.
0: Yeah, <laughs> definitely. That was kind of my, my mode yeah, right. You're enjoying the speed of it all. Um so is that, is that a dent bottle, by the way? That's good good branding. Has to be done, didn't it?
1: Yeah, I gotta, gotta do some product placement.
0: <laughs>
1: I feel like growth.
0: Water's never tasted this good.
1: <laughs> I feel like raising some
0: money. Exactly. If you wanna if you wanna scale rapidly, you need to get yourself one of these guys.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, okay cool so this 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 was the, this was from 2006 on to 2000 and...
1: 2006 this was 2007 2008 and then in okay, the, cool. and then uh, it was obama 08 was the campaign um i was i remember it very vividly living in a in a big penthouse in chelsea um and watching the obama campaign and watching the whole the speeches and everything like that And then at the end of 2008 was um was a was a seven day event that we had booked out with john demartini um, and it was like a half a million pounds worth of tickets sold and it was like this incredible finish for the year and then right on the very last day of that event um something happened where the stock market crashed and um the 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 exchange rate fell through the floor. We'd been like, <clears throat> I, I don't know if you remember, but around the around that time, the pound was almost twice the US dollar. It wasn't quite double, but it was mm-hmm. close to yeah. double. Used to, you kind of rounded it to to double. One pound was almost two US dollars, um, and um, uh, and basically we were paying a big bill about one hundred and forty thousand dollars to John, um in US dollars and we budgeted about 70,000 pounds or something like that and then suddenly we looked at how much the conversion was going to be and it was going to be like 100,000 pounds or 105,000 pounds we were like oh whoa what just happened wow, yeah. and that was kind of like the first time it even occurred to my radar that mm-hmm. something was different in the world so you know the global financial crisis was was kind of like it kicked off in 2007 i think Like I forget, I don't even really know when Lehman Brothers happened. It wasn't even in my awareness. I wasn't thinking about it or noticing it. But I certainly noticed that was the first time I noticed that something was different when the pound crashed. Yeah, right. And 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 then that that began a really disastrous year for two thousand and nine. So. I sat down with John and I said, "John, look, you know, there's there's a global financial crisis, there's a massive recession, and the pound has crashed against the US dollar. I can continue bringing you to the to the uh, to the UK, but only if we fix a rate in pounds, and I can pay you what we were paying in pounds, but I can't pay you what we were paying in US dollars." And he went, "Nope." Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was I, can, like, I can, I can him. picture him saying that as well. Yeah. Have you met John? Yeah, yeah. Right. So he was he was just like, "No, no." <laughs> Um, like it was a, your problem, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he was that, that might have been a direct quote. He was kind of yeah. like, It's your problem. I get paid in US dollars. I live in the US, I charge in the US. Whatever you, you know, however, you make money is your problem, but yeah. I'm, i I charge in US dollars. And I was just like, Well, John, I can't promote you, I can't do anything. So, um, we went from having a two million pound a year business doing these John D. Martini events to having nothing. Um, with John right so just complete hard stop on that product Um, and then Roger Hamilton he had gotten himself in 2007-2008 he'd expanded in all directions he had childcare centers he had cafes he had two magazines he had um, a global membership he had opened up uh, events companies in all these different cities he like he was just kind of getting into everything and then basically all at once everything was was under attack and he just kind of retracted right back to the core of his business and as he was retracting back to the core of the business i think he owed me i don't know 70 maybe 100 grand in in uh, in outstanding commissions and he put a stop on the payment until he <clears throat> got his finances under control mm. but naturally my reaction to that was well i can't <laughs> continue to promote you unless you oh bring, <laughs> bring things up to up to date and he yeah we eventually sorted it out but basically i had my two big products my you know, John and Roger, wow. and just bang. So <clears throat> I went from four million a year in revenue down to four hundred thousand. Most of the four hundred thousand was actually collections. So I'd say yeah. two hundred grand was just collecting old old money that was owed to us, and then two hundred wow. grand was me just running some social media marketing workshops while I tried to figure out what the hell to do. Yeah, we, right. had, we had to fire everyone. We had to um, we fired everyone way too late. Uh, you know, I had lots of people on the payroll with nothing to do. Um, yeah, it was just a, it was a strange year, 2009. Mm. And I I moved from the penthouse apartment down to my sister's spare room. I remember being in a tiny little spare room surrounded by boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff. And I just carved a little pathway to the bed. And basically I'd gone from a penthouse in Chelsea to a, to a spare room. Um,
0: it was, it was wild. (laughs) What a a difference suddenly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, for a lot of people that would have you know tipped them over the edge to 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 go from such a contrast and to you know have such a hard hit like that i mean what was what was kind of running through your head and in, in this sort of uh, point I,
1: I remember a very very low moment where it was it was winter it was like january 2009 i think it was mate no it must have been january 2010 no was, must have must have been 2009 um but anyway i I slipped on a sheet of ice walking walking down the road, and just kind of, you know, one of those like slips where you go up and down and come crashing. Oh no, out. a proper slip. Yeah, <laughs> proper. Yeah, proper slip on the ice, and I like bashed my arm into the ground, and like I wasn't even sure if it was broken. It was certainly really badly bruised, and I remember just going,
0: "What? Like, what is going on? What, yeah. is, <laughs> what is going on?" Well, like, you know, you know what, you know what, Doctor D Martini would say. <laughs> yeah, he would say, he would, he would say that you you've attracted this into your life, yeah, Daniel. Yeah, yeah.
1: He'd say, was, he'd say simultaneously there was some real positives in that. Yeah, yeah. Are you not
0: grateful? Are you not yeah, grateful I'm, for that? That proper? Yeah, slip?
1: exactly. <laughs> After all of my Martini days, I was. I, I fell down. I was like, ah, oh, fantastic! A broken arm. That's what I. That, that's wonderful. Some great will come out of this. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: But it, I, I mean, it's it's amazing, isn't it? When you when you think back, I mean. I've, I've just watched dent and your and your business right now just you know obviously it's it's been a challenging last few months but you guys have completely pivoted online um, and it's, yeah. it's been amazing to watch and um, you've also inspired a lot of other businesses to do the same and um, but you wouldn't have been able to do that if you hadn't gone through this right totally such a, <clears throat> such a, such a sharp learning experience for you
1: yeah actually there's one part to the story which actually kind of also completes the story which is I tried to sell the business. So we still actually had a P&L that was showing pretty good numbers from the year before. And I tried to go around saying to people, you know, that this business, you all you need is now to choose some new speakers. And now this business is a great business to, to, to buy. And we've got database and we've got a brand and, you know, we've got some staff and all this sort of stuff. And you know, for a business that had done 4 million of sales, I thought, okay, great. You know, someone will buy this for a few hundred thousand. I can start, you know, start something new. And uh, anyway, I start. I think the, the offer from memory that I got was 300,000 pounds, which was a lowball offer. And I just went, you know what, I'm going to do it. That's fine. Um, and then on the day that I went to collect the check uh, to actually complete the deal and sign the paperwork, he didn't show up. And I'm sitting there going, where where is the guy? He'd had a heart attack and wow. uh, he was in hospital wow. and uh, I'd mentally checked out of the business. I was like, I was like, <laughs> thank God I'm out. And then next thing, you know, like I was mentally spending the 300 grand on some new, some new ideas. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and, um, uh, it was going to be two payments of 150 grand. I was going to get 150 grand right there that morning, um, and sign the deal. And then 150 grand six months later. And, uh, and I was done. I was like, great. I'll I'll go do something else. Uh, Mm. Anyway, he had a heart attack that morning and he ended up in hospital and basically it was just this weird situation. But off the back of all of that, I learned some really incredibly valuable lessons. And I also had a um, spreadsheet, uh, not a spreadsheet, uh, an Evernote, which I kept very, very detailed notes about what I wish I had have done uh, in hindsight, what I'll Uh. do next time. And I basically kept an extremely good set of notes um so as soon as this recession hit i just went straight to that notes and went okay cool like i'd already put in place all the stuff that i'd wanted to do anyway and then mm-hmm. i just went into the notes and just said all right cool here's my notes from last time um, amazing that's pretty yeah.
0: pretty handy to have a set of notes a, a, a how-to guide on the old yeah. Uh, recession yeah <laughs>
1: uh, how to get punched in the face uh, <laughs> yeah right
0: oh but it, i mean what kind of strikes me is that you know it's a lot, of, a lot of people going through this right now that they're, they're feeling like this is the end of the world they're going through this really terrible thing it's it's going to be the end for them and their business but you know the way I, if you're able to kind of step back and look at it long term and look at this like you know this is going to be an amazing learning experience for you as an entrepreneur and actually you know because of this you should be able to grow providing you can you can learn the lessons and apply it in the next in 10 years time when the next kind of recession happens Do you know what I mean which is exactly what you did
1: yeah well, this is the thing. Um, it turns out that pretty much every ten years we have a major transformation happen of some sort. So, you know, global financial crisis, and then ten years before that, it was the dot com. September eleven, um, and then before that, you had, uh, you know, the oil crisis, and you had, um, you know, different recessions, the fall of the USSR, um, and then before that, you had the nineteen eighty seven stock market crash. Like they, they just keep coming and going. And um, and then when you lay that on top of your own personal life, in your own personal life, you're going to have a massive disruption every ten years as well. Whether it be having kids, having uh, someone who you love is unwell, um, having an injury, um, a bout of depression, uh, it could be any number of things that happens in your personal life. So essentially, you're going to ha- you're going to deal with disruption about twice a decade. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether once will be your personal situation, your personal life, and once will be a global, some sort of global situation. So you, you just kind of got to factor in that this is just part of life and it's a cycle. It's a phase, you know. Oh, my goodness, it's snowing outside. Yeah, that's winter. It happens every year, um, you know, and you just have to figure out what do you do in winter? Oh, cool. Yeah. You can go snowboarding. Okay, that's pretty cool. I'll, I'll, I'll learn a winter sport. So um, you start to discover that actually there are just winter sports and summer sports, and you can have fun in winter or summer. Um, you just I love that, the, that analogy. The trick, is, the trick is not to play tennis in the winter or try and go skiing in the summer.
0: And a lot, a lot of people are putting their tennis shorts on right now. Uh-huh. Exactly, <laughs> it's lovely out, out here in the UK. You're, you're, you're putting you're putting your, your snowboarding gear on.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Economically, oh, I'm I'm booted up, suited up. Yeah, right. we, in know, ready to clip on.
0: How far do we take this analogy? I don't know.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm ready for you the know, right?
0: <laughs> yep. We end up, up pre skiing. Who knows? Uh, yeah, it depends, it depends on the run, up. right? I mean,
1: exactly. We
0: might oh, yeah. even go off piece. Are we, we, we find, even talking about reset and re-event anymore? No one knows. We might find a yurt. <laughs> 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 so, um, so obviously, loads of loads of lessons learned from your from your um how to guidebook, um, from 2009, 2010 which you've now you know, used to help hundreds of business owners um, get through this recession. Well, prepare themselves to get through this recession. And there's two main parts which you teach. The first one is to reset and the second one is to reinvent. Yeah. Could you, could you give us a brief summary and then can we go into reset?
1: So um, reset and reinvent. So essentially if you look at the stock market, um, there's a crashing down phase and then there's a rebounding phase um, to the stock market and um uh, essentially the reset phase is going back down to some core principles some first some first principles some uh, in basic intention of the business the original vision mission values those kind of things and then the reinvention is when you when you hit a point there comes this magical moment where you know you've done the re- reset because you actually feel light and you feel creative and you feel energized and you feel good um and um it's kind of just this, uh, just this mode of very. The faster you can reset, the faster you can reinvent. The the harder, the more you accept the reset, then the more you kind of like get get quickly into the reinvent phase, and then you get a head start on the marketplace, which is just ideal. Um, so, it's kind of like accepting what's happened, um, getting your head into a good place, fixing your eye on a new prize, getting getting back to original intention. Um, and first principles Um, and unfortunately it also does actually mean look up it's hard for me to say it in a nice way but it does also mean making some cuts um so often a reset means cutting a team size there's certain team sizes that work so there's twos fours eights and forties um they tend to be the 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 kind of uh, team sizes that that work and often it means dropping a team size So so, for example, if a team of eight might drop down to a team of four. Um, mm-hmm. A team of 12, 13 might drop down to a team of eight or nine. Um, a team of forty might drop down to a team of uh, um, uh, eight to twelve. Uh, wow. Sometimes, you know, a team of fifty or sixty might drop back to a team of forty. So, there there are some some there's often some cuts to be made, um, and there's some expenses that relate to the way you used to do business, not the way that you will do business. Um, So you have to be a little bit brutal in doing that. But from experience, you're not cutting people out. You're protecting the jobs that are going to come. You're Mm. you're you're creating the space for employment to happen. You're creating the space for money to be spent on innovation. You are you are creating the space for the next round of the business. There's absolutely nothing to be gained by keeping people together on a sinking ship. You know so you are you are getting yourself in a position where you can then rehire, reinvest you know you you're in a good spot.
0: Yeah, really really interesting and I think I think there's almost an element of denial right people holding on to the holding on to the way things were holding on to the current business they've, they've made the basic cuts but obviously the the most heartbreaking cuts are the are the team cuts. Um, but if the, if the business is going through this evolution, that role may not exist anymore in the new business right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's 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 holding on to the past that prevents you from resetting. So yeah. um you know it's when you sit there and go okay I'll just hold on to everything the way that it was and hopefully everything will come back. Yeah. Um and it's kind of like it's not going to it's not going to come back. Um yeah. you know so
0: I think one of the one of the um when when this all kicked off and I think in Dubai for us it, we, you know we were one of the first companies to be shut shut down because of our area of work. And I remember you gave me a phone call and said, you know, you've got to look at your team and you've got to sit down with the team and, and, you know, paint the picture of what the future evolution of the team is going to look like and think long and hard about who would be best suited to, to be in that team. You know, who are the, who are the key players for that? And yeah. that, that's the uncomfortable reality.
1: Um, it is. And, and it's also the, it's also the reality that will protect the most jobs. Mm. So, it's, it's when you start getting into this place of reserve, reverse engineering the future and embracing pre, pre, embracing the present situation yeah um, you know like if someone had been in a car accident and they're broken you know they've broken a leg or something like that and they say it's okay I'm just gonna keep keep running like I used to because I'm always running and I've, I've always got so much great you know been such a great runner in the past it's like you're not you're not accepting what's happened you need time to heal and you need time to you know there's a different course of action required right now because you've yeah. been through an accident and if you do this stuff you will run in the future again you're actually going to you are going to go through a, a process of healing and yeah. you're going to come out the other side and be running again so
0: and, and if you try and run too soon you'll have a you'll have a worse chance of healing and maybe you got you you're going you're gonna to take a lot longer to be able to run again right
1: yeah yeah exactly so it's the faster you can reset, the faster you can re- reinvent.
0: Amazing! I love that. Very, very interesting. So, um, so assu- assuming you know, you you the the whole reset phase, how long does that normally take a company? So, what's the sort big, of faster. And what's the what's the most typical?
1: So, a big company, the biggest companies in the UK, they tend to reset over a course of about fifteen months. Um, so, there's. <clears throat> there's three economically um, and the economy we're about to go into we're just we're only just at the beginning of the economic situation so um economically there's three phases which is number one the shock of what happens so something happens and then there's an initial shock um and then number two phase number two is the reaction to the shock and phase number three is the reaction to the reaction. So these are the three big chapters that kind of unfold economically. So if you imagine, you know, there's a lockdown, COVID-19, global pandemic is announced, all of that. That's the shock and that's gonna send every company into, you know, hunker down mode. What what do we do? How are we gonna handle it? You know, looking at the business line by line. Can we get funding? Can we get finance? You know, do we need to shut that part of the business down? What should we focus on? What should we cut? You know, all of that is is the shock. Um, and uh, you know the first stock market crash that you'll see is actually just the crash of investors running to safety. Oh, something big has happened. Let's go to cash and see what happens. Um, but then the second wave that's to, that's about to come is the reaction to the shock. Now we've really slowed down the reaction to the shock because the furlough scheme, which has now been extended to in you know in 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 one form or another, it's extended till October. Um, You know that essentially is slowing down. You know Mm. the car crash. Um, So the the reaction to the shock has been put into a slow motion sort of situation. So what normally would have happened is ten million people would have been unemployed, um, and you know we would have reset really, real hard, real fast. Everything comes crashing down. The whole of society is is in is in chaos. but what's going to happen is, you know, we're going to go through a much, much smoother thing, but there's still going to be some fundamental issues in the economy and and um, lots of companies are going to have to rethink the way they do things. So that's phase two. And then phase three is the reaction to the reaction. So um, based on your new business, you can get this funding or you can get this innovation or you can get this new, you know, new acquisition or all of those kind of things. So then you actually kind of get to see the fruits of, how you reacted and, and whether that works. So there's these three phases for large companies that they go through. And typically a big event like this is going to last 18 months. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. However, mm. uh, judging from the past, what will happen next is we will see a huge wave of unemployment and um, a wave of, uh, you know, sort of cuts to businesses and things closing down and all that sort of stuff. And then we'll see the reaction to the reaction and we'll have sort of impact in the housing market, impact in the, inv- in the investment markets, impact in the credit markets. So all of that will then happen before we then start to uh, come through it again. Um, and especially if we have a second wave of the virus, if we have another lockdown and we have another yeah. you know, another phase. So what's great for entrepreneurs is that... Um, uh, is that we, we, we're we in a position to reset and reinvent really quickly. So for an entrepreneur, typically you can reset in under three months. And you know, if you jump on the front foot and you go line by line and you say, all right, that's not something that we absolutely need right now. That's not something that's gonna be necessary. Um, and you kind of go, if I was starting a business right now today, if I was literally today was startup, uh, you know, version 2.0, this is the first day of the new business. What what do I want on my startup expenses? <clears throat> yeah. you know, what do I what do I want to start the business? Who do I want to start this business with? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So you go around and you actually kind of say, "All right, I'm starting a business from scratch. So here's here's the here's the kind of you know startup expenses that we want." So if you do that as a small business, you very rapidly get this jump on the market so if you think about big companies in london or in dubai or you know corporates they're going to take three months to figure out who's allowed to have a zoom account who's allowed to update the company blog who's allowed to um travel again who's not allowed to travel who's allowed to work from home how many days can you work from home like for for a corporate all of these decisions take months Mm. and they're so slow and it's death by committee and it's decision you know every decision has to involve you know have we asked the heads of departments about that decision have we you know the business the business leader leaders have we have we consulted the business committee of kings and queens and you know blah 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 and it's just like this endless kind of bouncing it around um so yeah. that's why it takes so long so entrepreneurs have this huge advantage to reset hard and fast real quick and then get on the front foot um yeah. and then once once you can get on the front foot you've kind of got if you imagine that the economy turning around takes 18 months, if you reset in three months, you've got 15 months head start on the whole economy.
0: Amazing. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's the key, isn't it? To, to get that reset done as soon as you can. So so what would be the sort of top five things or top five tips to, for people watching this right now who are keen to reset as quickly as possible that you could give?
1: So um, here's a few things on resetting. Uh, number one, original intention of the business. What is the business intended to do? What is it you do for others? Um, what is the problem that you solve? And what is a weird way of thinking? It, what What is the actual intellectual property that that people are coming to you for? So, like, why are people coming to you? What are they trying to get done? Uh, a, a very high level example of this, this situation is that Zoom is worth more than the top seven world's biggest airlines combined right now, because (laughs) essentially all the money that people were spending on traveling on airplanes is now moved over to Zoom accounts. So at the same time that the airplane market capitalizations dropped, Zoom's market market cap went through the roof because the original intention of the customer is to have a face-to-face meeting. So essentially anything that facilitates a face-to-face meeting is a new way of getting the same thing done so essentially the first question that you're asking is what is it that my customers are trying to get done if they could come to me and wave a magic wand what would they wish for um what are they hoping to achieve ultimately what are they hoping to achieve so if there's then the you know that's a really powerful starting point the other question you might ask is why am i in this business like why why did i start this business so you might have kind of discovered that Um, just through the continuation of things, you ended up with a business that was kind of like more stress than it was worth and it wasn't actually delivering the kind of lifestyle you wanted to live and it wasn't ticking the kind of boxes. Or you maybe you started the business as a bachelor and uh, and now you've got a family and it's actually, the business was really kind of set up at a time when you loved the idea of just travelling around the world and being footloose and fancy free, but now actually you'd be happier having more home life. So then you want to ask yourself the question, you know, how do I remarry up what I want from this business with what the customer really is trying to get done, and then the technology and the trends of the day, How? Do, what is the most efficient and effective way to help the customer get that that result, that feeling, that desired outcome? Um, so that's kind of like the first kind of thinking that you want to do uh, about your business in the reset mode. The other big thing that's important in, in reset mode is to monitor your mindset, monitor your brain. Um, so roughly speaking an entrepreneur has three settings in their brain and it's the reptile the monkey and the visionary and the reptile is fight flight freeze freak out be resentful be vengeful um angry aggressive frightened scared disappointment um you you know uh, selfish greedy right all of that lives in the reptile space the monkey is just mindless activity just doing doing what you always do going back to the comfort zone um you know pretending it's business as usual uh not really making any bold or decisive or brave moves not being terribly creative or innovative just kind of doing what you've always done in the monkey pit and then visionary is reverse engineering the future being creative being empathetic loving compassionate um strategic um thoughtful uh visionary resourceful So it's it's you've got to you've got to really during these times you've really got to say at the moment I'm having a reptile moment I'm not going to send any emails I'm not going to send text messages I'm not going not going to jump on and do that thing that I that I said I was going to do I'm going to cancel that because I'm just not in the space to do it Um, Mm -hmm. and just make sure because the reptile will undo all your relationships and all your brand and your you know that sort of stuff Um, so just simply trying to get yourself to have more visionary moments and then extending those
0: moments into days and i guess uh, that's that's the key right to reinvent you've got to be in this visionary mindset you can't you can't you can't reinvent if you're in if you're worrying too much about emails or admin or you're in that monkey brain you've got to you've got to be completely visionary to to yeah. so what was what was it you said is it um deconstruct the future Re, uh, reverse engineer the future reverse engineer the future
1: yeah you what what the monkey wants to do is forward engineer the past uh the visionary wants to reverse engineer the future and the reptile, <laughs> the reptile just feels entitled. Um, so the right. reptile is basically. So
0: the so the monkey wants to basically create this imaginary fear of what could go wrong.
1: Well, well, The reptile is focused on the fear of what could go wrong, and is entitled. And basically, the reptile believes that it's it's entitled to rewards. It's entitled to passive income. So it's all about entitlement. Um, okay. It shouldn't be hard for me it shouldn't be difficult for me i shouldn't have to deal with this i should have someone looking after me i should have a benefactor i should have passive income i should have multiple streams of passive income i should have flies that come and land in my mouth so i don't have to hunt um so basically that's the reptile's fantasy the monkey's fantasy <clears throat> is if i just keep doing what i've always done then I, I I won't. Nothing bad will happen to me. I've always walked down this same path to get some 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 bananas, and if I just walk down that path every day, then the bananas will keep showing up. Even though the banana <laughs> tree, tree has just been bulldozed, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep going back to the banana tree, waiting for it to produce bananas again.
0: Um, I love that. <laughs> I guess, I guess <laughs> yeah. you know. I guess we we've all got these. You know, these. We all go through these moments. It doesn't matter how much of a a Zen master you are, there will be times where you go full monkey or full or full reptile, right? Uh, uh,
1: John Martini. John Martini is a great example. The guy literally t- delivers talks to seven hundred people about how to be your best self and be be, be amazing. Uh, I've seen him lose his shit all the time. Right. <laughs> he's actually he's actually watching right now. And yeah, yeah. John is he watching. <laughs> yeah, I remember when we checked into the Hilton Hotel one time and you lost your shit because they didn't have your Platinum Rewards card number. <laughs> uh, Amazing. <laughs> oh, we, all but, we all have reptile moments, all of us, right? Yeah,
0: but it, I, I guess it's I guess it's just like you said, giving it a name and and. By the, and the way, if, it, if, if, John, it, right? if
1: John's watching, he would love the he would love love the fact that I'm. That I, you know, talk about him when he's in the pit versus on the pedestal.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess I guess it only just it only goes to prove John's points as well, right? Because. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so so it's it's there's a self awareness because there's also there's there's the three settings. There's also this fourth setting which is observing which which mode you're in. So you kind of like there's this uh, there's this part of you that knows you're having a reptile moment. And there's a part of you that knows that you're having a monkey, that you're in monkey mode and that you're not creating any real breakthroughs. And there's a part of you that knows you're actually on path, on track, doing doing highly important things that you're actually, you just hit the home run right there. Um, so <clears throat> it's having the self-awareness to, to diminish the reptile moments impacts and maximize the impacts of the visionary moments.
0: Um, so, so, I mean, if have got a lot of questions asking, um, we've actually had about probably over a hundred comments here, both on YouTube and on Facebook, you can see them on the right hand side of yeah, the screen there. Uh, yeah. Um, we've had a, a lot of questions right now uh, apart from this one, which is where are the bananas? Um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the questions here, which keeps coming up is, um, how to, how to move to the visionary phase. Um, and is it, is it, is it always possible to stay in the visionary mindset?
1: Yeah, so the, the, there's a hack. There's a very clear hack for hacking your brain into the visionary mode. Um, you have to choose a purpose uh, and a mission that has almost nothing to do with your own personal needs. Um, so <clears throat> any any vision, any vision or mission that is about um, self-service, self self betterment, self improvement is the reptile and the monkey ganging up on the visionary. So anything like passive income multiple streams of income, uh, huge exit, large, large pots of money, um, a benefactor, someone to take care of you, uh, retirement. Any of those are actually fantasies that only appeal to the monkey and the reptile. The hack that gets you, and they'll perpetuate reptile monkey thinking, the hack that gets you beyond that is a vision and a mission beyond making money, beyond your own survival, beyond even potentially beyond even your own life. So last night I was talking to a client, and the vision that we came up with is that um, a particular healing methodology would be around in three thousand, in a thousand years. And he said to me that there's only about 25 people left in the world who know this particular healing method, and it's dying out. There were about 750 of them. It's down to 25. He, his mission is to establish an academy that will teach the method, and that will still be around in a thousand years. And wow. like. Yeah, just talking about that beyond his own lifetime um, immediately moved him into a much better way of thinking about his, his, his activities and his business. You could tell that he immediately shifted into visionary mode. So my best hack for how to get into visionary mode is to choose one of the United Nations global goals for the head, one for the heart. Um, so you end up with two UN global goals that are your guiding force. And you spend more and more time thinking about how do i create transformation in the world um at the level of like at the at the level of thousands if that challenges you then tens of thousands if that's a challenge for you then hundreds of thousands but it's that kind of question of like how could i do something that would improve the lives of tens of thousands of people hundreds of thousands of people in this particular space so um for me i have two uh, un global goals that really get me up in out of bed in the morning, which is um, goal eight and goal seventeen, which is good jobs and economic growth, and goal seventeen proliferating the United Nations global goals. And what I actually do is run a business accelerator that gets peoples from minute one to align to a UN global goal. So yeah. I'm actually just by doing the business that I do, I'm aligned. I'm I'm aligned to that uh, idea, and the way I, um, the way I talk about that is. To get entrepreneurs solving meaningful problems, and to develop entrepreneurs who stand out, scale up, and make a dent in the universe. Now, when I when I think about those thoughts, when I think about develop ten thousand entrepreneurs to stand out, scale up, and make a positive impact in the world, um, that immediately moves into okay, what technology do I have to develop? What tools and resources? Who do I need on my team to do that? What countries will we operate in? What time zones? Um, what funding will we need? So I move into reverse engineering in the future and thinking about how I'm going to put that together, and and I move into a sense of excitement, creativity, innovation, um, passion. Right. So all of that starts flowing, um, and that and that basically, <laughs> what's what's funny is like I've got a I've got a, a a person who I've been doing a bit of work with, you know, who's really into like. Um, multiple streams of income and passive income and all this sort of stuff and he's like oh you know but i just want to make passive income and all this sort of stuff and he goes and he, he said some some quip to me like oh you wouldn't know you wouldn't you wouldn't know <laughs> what, what passive income is like i'm like are you joking me like you know like i don't need to work anymore you know i am past that point we now have you know we got you know dozens of businesses and i got intellectual property and i got licensing fees and i got book royalties and i got all this stuff but do you think that stuff happens by wanting passive income? Like none of yeah. that stuff happens as a result of wanting it. It happens as a result of chasing something greater, something bigger, and then it kind of it's the wake that sits behind the boat. It's not, you know, the it, it's almost like if, if someone who didn't understand boats thought that the wake was pushing the boat and it's like, oh, okay, if you just have that wake, then the wake would push the boat and, you know, the wake yeah. would create the boat and it's like, no, the boat creates the wake. And all of that stuff, the the fun stuff that shows up, is in the wake. It's not the boat. Um, it's the boat that creates the wake, and the boat is the the vision, the mission, the values, the purpose, um, and then all the other stuff just falls in behind.
0: Brilliant analogy. I love that. I, I, see, I see a lot of people making making that kind of mistake and, and chasing chasing passive income or kind of quick quick solutions. Um, but it's 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 almost a bit soulless. There's there's nothing behind it other than you know trying trying to earn money and there's you know. nothing
1: special. There's nothing special about someone who wants money. That's that's not like a differentiator in the world. Mm. It's like mm. oh, tell me tell me what makes you such a great entrepreneur. Oh, I want to have five million pounds. It's like <laughs> uh, that's oh wow, gee, you're really you're you're really special. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we had a we had a Masami Sato uh, on. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant interview. Amazing, amazing uh, vision. You know, fuel, fueled by that vision to, to create businesses for good, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, and and look what happens. You know, it attracts business. It attracts experience. It, it attracts interesting people around. Um, you know, I was there. I was there when Masami pitched that to the room for the first time in Bali. Really. Um, and I've watched how it's become a global movement. Um, and I've watched all the kinds of experience that have have shown up as a result of that vision being in the world and mm. you know like stuff that money can't buy happens as a result yeah. you know yeah
0: it's yeah it's it, what, what kind of struck me about um, her interview was was how it was it wasn't even like this i'm going to build this business or i've i've got this vision it was it was more like i'm going to create this movement and it's going to yeah. change the world yeah. right?
1: when she first pitched it she just said imagine she said imagine if every time somebody bought a big screen tv someone else was given the gift of sight yeah and imagine if every time you bought a cup of coffee, someone else got clean water. Um, yeah, right. Like she just ran through this list that kind of made sense. And she said, you know, the, the there's one part of the world that has too much stuff and there's another part of the world that doesn't have enough stuff and we can link those two really in a smart way and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, buy one, give one. And that was kind of, that was it. And then, you know, Paul, Paul is sitting in the audience and he's like, wow, this is great, <laughs> right? <laughs> And he he's like you know he's got the experience of building several twenty million dollar businesses so he just jumps in and goes
0: goes right cool let's let's start building this let's make it happen I love that <laughs> and that, and that, and that's it right I mean it's from a simple idea pitched pitched perfectly to an audience there's a partnership that forms yeah so
1: then there's the reinvent phase right so the reinvent phase. So the reset phase is getting your head right, getting back to first principles, first intention, and then you go on the reinvention. So it's it's actually not smooth sailing from there. Um, business is a pain in the ass. Entrepreneurship should be called entrepreneur shit. It is really, it's just hard. Um, We're
0: going to repurpose that into a five-second audiogram. That's yeah, that's, that's, how we'll, that's how we'll intro this.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's entrepreneurship. Uh, and it's not smooth sailing and it's not easy and um it's disproportionately hard at the beginning um the the real the real thing here's the here's the here's the pain in the ass with with business um business is a game of compounding or doubling is another word for it and each Mm -hmm. double is almost as hard as as each other double so going from 50,000 to 100,000 feels like a big step. And when you're at 100,000, going from 100,000 to 200,000 feels pretty big. And 200 to 400 feels big. 400 to 800 feels big. 800 to 1.6, 1. 1.6 1. 6 to 3.2, 6.4, 12.8. But strangely, when you're at 5 or 6 million of revenue, it kind of feels the same stretching for the next double. So you might be sort of 5 million of revenue and you're, you know, you're doing... Five, call it six million of revenue doing a half a million a month um and you can actually kind of see a fairly clear path to a million a month and what has to happen and who you have to hire and all of that sort of stuff mm-hmm. And it's it's funny it's actually not it's not too dissimilar to when you were at three hundred thousand for the year and you you're like okay we're doing about a grand a day yeah. and right i think i can see what we would need to do to get to two grand a day and we'd be at like Five, six six hundred thousand a year so um the problem with that is it means that it's disproportionately hard and unrewarding at the beginning um so you know the first phase of getting a business past 100 grand is like kicking doors down you know it feels like it, it the feeling the reason a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to elon musk and can relate to richard branson and all of this sort of stuff they're, they're heroes. Because the feeling of having to, you know, innovate and pitch and do deals and make things happen, that feeling doesn't kind of like change.
0: <laughs> it's just yeah, right. The numbers and the team sizes get bigger, but with with that compounding effect, you know, and the and the and the doubling speed that you talk about, there's also this almost compounding effect of the lessons you learn as you do it. Right. So, so as you go, you you get better at doing it. And I often kind of see entrepreneurship as a skill. I I think well, the, yeah. thing, the thing
1: it's like it's so many parallels with martial arts Mm. um and the the belting system so there's there are it's like there are belts black belts and white belts and yellow belts and like so there are certain belts that you kind of have to go up through with with entrepreneurship and um you know and you might see someone doing a spinning back kick in entrepreneurship that might be you know raising a half a million pound seed round doing you know, a VC, VC deal doing a, a, a partnership with a global company and rolling mm. a product across their their, their infrastructure. Um, and it's like, oh, wow, that's a black belt move. <laughs> like, yeah, you right. know, oh, <laughs> Elon Musk just sold $10 billion worth of cars. From yeah, his home
0: home
1: <laughs> And they're, they're cyber trucks. Like, you know, like, that was pretty black belt. Um, but, but there's certain, so there's belts, right? So let me talk through the belts. So belt white belt having a concept, right? So actually having an idea, having a concept, uh, coming up with you know what's what's the idea? Oh, I want to be in business. I want to be an entrepreneur. Doing what, right? Uh, uh, you know banana smoothies. Okay, cool. There's your concept, right? Whatever. But white belt is having a having a concept, um, banana smoothies. We're still in the brain, aren't we? Right? Uh, and then belt number two is having an audience. Um, so, you know, someone who's paying attention and actually giving you, giving you the gift of attention. Gary Vaynerchuk is all about that belt. He's like, you've got to get attention. You've got to have some people paying attention to you, and then you can do more with that once you've got attention, but you have to have attention. So it's all about having an audience. Um, and then people, people go out and follow Gary Vaynerchuk's advice and they get 10,000 followers, but making no money. It's like, but I've got, I've got this audience. What, what's going on? Next belt, having an offer, you've got to actually have some shit to sell. Um, so a brochure, a landing page, an offer, a price point, you know, a package, a payment plan, right? Having an offer. And the next belt, having a consistent sales strategy, a sales and marketing approach that just perpetuates week on week on week on week. So now we're up to, you know, concept audience offer sales. So we've gotten through the bottom level of belts. And then the next one is pitching to enroll people into something bigger than a sale. So pitching skills versus sales skills. Publishing content to reach people on on digital platforms, productizing and creating a whole product ecosystem, uh, raising profile and becoming semi-famous in your industry, doing strategic joint ventures and partnerships. Now we're up, up to kind of, you know, the brown belt almost level. Uh, and then there's three big belts after that, which is, uh, developing teams and teams of teams, developing proprietary assets. And then being able to forecast and predict what's going to happen a year to two years out through knowing what levers to pull and having predictable revenues, so then suddenly it's like, and then you're up into acquisitions and etc. So so basically, um, so there's there's, there's belts. Um, yeah. I think I think this
0: was just a, your your elaborate way of trying to write a book with me, wasn't it? <laughs> be, be honest. <laughs> Yeah, we'll put our minds together and we'll write we we'll a book called How to Become a Black Belt in Business.
1: Black Belt Business, yeah, exactly. We,
0: <laughs> yeah, we
1: just need to transcribe this.
0: Yeah, there we go, job done. Yeah, it's really really interesting though, and I, and I think I think a lot of people can can relate to that. You know, where you kind of see yourself go through these different levels, and the thing the things that used to take you a long time to to decide or to or to understand or to or to make a move on. Now you can do it a lot faster, right? If you've been in the game for a long time, and and not not a, it's the same with with martial arts. I think you know not all years are created equally. You could spend ten years doing the same style, not competing, not pushing yourself, training once a week, or you could spend ten years, you know, competing at every possible competition, training with loads of different training partners, training five times a week, and you, the end result is is very very different. And I think it's yeah. the same way when you look at the challenges you take on as a business owner.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's also like. If you've already been a martial artist in one style, you're probably going to learn another style pretty quick. Um, mm. You know, you're gonna you're gonna be able to apply yourself. Um, Tim has asked the question: where do, where does it all fall apart mostly? Um, uh, and the answer to that is: whichever belt you're on, you get stuck on that belt, and and you know you can't move past concept or audience or offer or sales. But most commonly, the big one that I see is just sales. Um, mm. So sales, I, I call it ABS breaking, anything but sales. Um, and two things happen. Number one, you see your heroes and they don't seem to be doing sales. Um, so the entrepreneur heroes like Branson seem to just swan around and, and you know, comment in the media and all that sort of stuff. But you don't actually see them signing people up and making, making an actual sale. What you don't realize is that he spent several years selling every single ad space in student magazine and then he spent several years making sales for every single artist on virgin records um you know he was just non-stop selling for a very very long time um so so it's easy to think oh you know i don't see gary vaynerchuk making sales um you know but the guy was just hustling selling wine and selling more wine and all this sort of stuff non-stop you know you know, he now has a team, a big team of salespeople. So, um, so the biggest one that I see is that people, a it's so hardwired into us, <clears throat> especially British people, that you don't really talk to strangers and you certainly don't ask people to do stuff that they weren't going to do. Um, you know, kind, kind of like the British psyche is very much like, um, you know, it's like uh, you can imagine someone who really wants to get fit talking to a fitness trainer, and they're like, oh, "I really, really want to get fit." And the fitness trainer is, yeah. like, "Oh, that's good, jolly good, 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 good goal," <laughs> you know. But like not sitting there going, "Let's sign you up." <laughs> like,
0: yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's very true that there, there there is a big culture shift when you when yeah. you look at it. When I moved to Dubai from the UK, there was there was just I could I could really see the difference when it came to that with the the approach with sales. You know, was. It's very very different here you know yeah was
1: well, probably a lot of americans or
0: mm. yeah there- a lot of a lot of the sale the sales stuff that i've seen here is, is pretty american actually i'd say yeah yeah. But a bit, yeah the british are very reserved with it you know it's it's almost like oh it's been it's a bit uncomfortable it's a bit improper to to sell isn't it
1: yeah exactly <laughs> right because we're a, we're a nation of landowners you know the only people who had money were, were people who were on the land who owned all the land and all the castles they didn't have to sell anything it's like yeah, yeah if you want your turnips, pay your pay fee, and you know, <laughs> piss off if you don't. Um, you know, I'm I'm the Earl of the Earl of Sandwich, like that's it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, whereas the Americans, you know, it's the Americans and Australians are a bit of a different breed in the sense that a lot of the population came from people who were willing to get on a ship and move somewhere they'd never been before, starting with absolutely nothing. And just a dream that they wanted to graft. And uh, mm. obviously, if there is a D, if there's some sort of gene or DNA strand that kind of is taking risks and just going for it and, and just trying to have a crack at something, um, it's going to be those types of people who jump on a boat and go there. So, yeah. Americans and the Australians tend to be much more forward when it comes to making sales culturally. Mm. Um, and the British, uh do tend to be very reserved when it comes to making sales it's um yeah, i've i've seen situations where where <laughs> literally someone who could make a sale is talking to someone who's practically begging to buy <laughs> and it's like well i'll drop you an email and um and hopefully uh, we can connect up again
0: <laughs> if, if that's okay with you if and, and, okay. so, and, sorry, and sorry i'm sorry and'm sorry to disturb you sorry yeah my
1: goodness no no and i'll get these teas. i'll get the coffees i'll get the teas yeah
0: (laughs) yeah i'll get this um this is this is a pretty relevant question then considering so many people struggle with sales and it's so vital for business uh what's been the most impactful bit of learning material you've consumed daniel focused around selling and do you recommend it? Uh, there's
1: a good uh there's a good book called customer-centered selling there's another good book called spin selling uh old books these ones um but they're oldies but they're goodies um and there are some, you know, there are some YouTube channels. If you kind of run down the rabbit hole of of sales, um, the other thing too is <clears throat> role play. Um, so a lot of the time, it feels so weird to do role play, uh, but sales, uh, role play is a huge part of sales. So um, it's kind of like it's kind of like acting. There's there's a lot of rehearsal that goes into being able to deliver a really great presentation from stage and. Uh, Great salespeople do a lot of role play, um, and yeah. they they rehearse, you know, objection handling, and they rehearse. The first thing that you should absolutely know about sales. Here's a couple of things you should know about sales. The first thing is it's completely not natural. Um, in the same way, fighting isn't natural, or martial arts isn't natural. It's not a natural way to move your body. It's not a natural uh, way to interact with people, um, or sport like running around doing football is not natural. You know, ninety minutes of pacing around fast on the field is a is something you have to train for because it's not natural so in sales it's not natural type of conversation to ask people you know certain probing questions or to ask them what what would be the implication of not getting that done um you know where would you you know what what would you like to achieve if this went really really well when would you like to get started with that project like all of those questions are a little bit too forward to be natural so therefore Mm because it's so unnatural, you have to rehearse for it. You have to do role play and, 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 um, and, and do some drills. So probably it's good to read some books, but it's also good to get a role play partner and actually
0: yeah. do some,
1: do some customer role plays.
0: When you, when you say drills, that just, just makes me think, you know, it's, it's such an uncomfortable situation and, and almost stressful, almost emotional situation for a lot of people to be in when they have to make us have to make a sale or have a sales conversation. Right. But the only way you can, if you look at the military, you look at martial arts, and they have to deal with stressful, pre- high-pressure situations. The only way they can do that without, you know, without um, shaking on the spot or, or, you know, not being able to cope, is because they've practiced the same drill again and again and again. So when they yeah. go into <laughs> it, they know exactly what they're doing. They're following a set structure. They're following their drills, and they just execute right. Yeah,
1: exactly. And and the ratio is like twenty to one. So if you take a martial artist, you know, they're probably doing Twenty hours of rehearsal and and drills for every mm. one hour of actually being in a competition. Um, yeah. Probably m- much, you know, it's probably much worse than that. Uh, much more, much higher. Um, so mm. it's probably like two hundred to one. You know, for every minute that you're in a competition, you've probably done two hundred minutes of of, uh, of rehearsals. So, yeah, they
0: well, say so, so ten ten thousand ten thousand kicks to master the kick, right? Or 10,000 10, yeah. 10, yeah. exercises to master it.
1: Yep, so so the, the sales thing is about drills and it's about role play and practice and having a buddy who can, you can role play for them, they can role play for you um, or having a few people like that is a really powerful thing. So reading a couple of books together and then role playing different different strategies. Um, the, the other one too is to keep in mind the final thing I'll say or the other thing I'll say about sales is that keep in mind Google has salespeople. Uh, You know, they've not been able to automate this out of the chain. Uh, Apple has salespeople. They do 40 minutes of sales training a day for every person who works in a retail store. Um, uh, Rolex has a three-day boot camp that you have to attend quarterly to be able to sell Rolexes. So, like, all of the most desirable brands on the planet have sales, Like that, that's just, that's just what happens. Like that is just business. And everyone thinks that you start a business and that it's like, just you tell people what you do and then suddenly they, you know, magically click on the website and buy. And it's like, it just doesn't happen like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and I think ultimately if you believe in your product or your service and you, and you believe that by, by giving this to the person you're talking to, you're going to serve them and improve their life and, and give them a good experience, then, you're, you know, you're almost doing a disservice by not selling your product to them, right?
1: Yeah, and and use that belief to learn to sell. Don't think that just simply believing in the value of what you do will sell it. There there are certain sales scripts and sales conversations that are not natural, mm. that, that have, you have to learn how to do certain scripts. Um, I've seen people who massively believe in what they do, you know, like they're like, you know, yoga could change the world. Yo, you know, yoga and meditation are the most important things in the world, blah, blah, blah. So that they just can't get someone to sign up to it because they don't know. They've got the belief. They don't have the sales skills. And, yeah. uh, and use the belief to learn the sales craft um, because in the early stages, in the early in the beginnings of business, you basically, you're going to, no one's going to come to you. You're going to have to get out there and talk to people. And you're gonna have to, unfortunately, you're gonna have to sign them up. And signing them up means, when do you want to get started? I've got the order form. Let's, let's. uh, How do you want to make a payment? Do you want to do that on Amex? Do you want to do it on Mastercard, direct debit? Like, what would be your preferred payment option? Like, it's that kind. It's that kind of shit stuff that none of us like to say or do. But at the beginning, the early stages
0: of business, you you got to go out and do that. And there, there are actually some, some amazing techniques that you, that you've actually written about and oversubscribed, um, which, which go into this in detail, um, how, how to make the whole sales conversation actually a really, a really pleasurable experience because people are almost biting your arm off to, to do it. And you've only got two arms and there's 20 people who want them. So we're going to, we're going to, you've only got, you've only got two bananas and there's, there's 20 monkeys, monkeys. but, um, yeah, we're going to go into that in another, um, another live interview, um. In, in a couple of weeks. We've got a question here from, from Jamie. If I wanted to get serious and um, about mapping all this out and reinventing for the decade ahead, what's the best way to do that?
1: Um, so you could jump on one of our uh, webinars, which is called Reset, Reinvent. Um, you could join our group called Oversubscribed. Um, so there's a uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash oversubscribed. Um, you could read the four books, uh, in the series, and ultimately, um, when you're ready, you could come and work with us in an accelerator. There you go. Yeah, we can sign you up. What's your preferred payment method? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that did not feel uncomfortable. No. There <laughs> you go. You've done your drills. I've
1: drilled. done the 10,000 kicks.
0: <laughs> well, amazing. Let's just uh, quickly run through this and um, see if you've got any more um, questions. Guys, if you've got any questions at all, feel free to throw them at Daniel while he's here, while we've got him. And Raj is here, by the way, Raj, ah, hey Raj, how are you doing? He's asked, uh, he's asked a couple of, um, Raj, I, comments. I couldn't, I couldn't see Raj's name, but I could see F10 saying, hello, uh, Raj.
1: can't wait to be in Dubai at some point
0: and catch up. That's it. We need to get Daniel out here. It's a bit tricky right now, but a couple of, uh, a few months, um, how much of platforms like zoom are going to change the game moving forward? Um, you've spoken to a few CEOs. We've already talked about three day weeks. Yeah. that's one of the things I'd like to go into as well. How do you see this all panning out? Um, you know, in, in the next, in the next two to five years. Wow. Okay. Two to five years.
1: So we have some fundamental massive changes that are coming in the world. Um, big, big changes. So you've opened up a bit of a can of worms and I'll (laughs) try, I'll keep it as quick as I can, but um, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I got all the time in the world. Um, so the, so here's, here's, here's the big trends that are happening. We have in the West, in the developed countries, we have a massively aging population. That's gonna change everything. Cause when you have a lot of people over the age of 70 in retirement, not paying tax, drawing down on healthcare systems. Um, and you have not a lot of 20 to 30 year olds to actually get in and make stuff and do the work. Um, and you have too many people whose expectation is management leadership, but no one to actually lead and manage. Um, you have a very difficult economy. Japan went through this about 15, 15 years earlier than we've been through it. Um, Germany is absolutely demographically in a really bad way. Average average age in Germany is forty eight, forty nine. Um, you know, uh, average age in Japan is forty nine, fifty. So um, you are talking about the the whole world. The whole world, as we know it, moving into an aging phase. Um, Uh, where we don't have enough young people and we've got too many older people. Uh, When they created the pension system, there was six or seven workers for every person in retirement. And today there's three and soon there'll be two and then there'll be one for one. Um, Like it's, you know, it's an interesting uh, conundrum. We also have what Japan did is Japan invested heavily in automation and robots to handle this. And what we're going to do in the West is we're going to invest heavily into AI, 5G, software, uh, Internet of things and all this sort of stuff. So this is all coming in a big way. Um, 4G mixed with um, uh, iPhones or smartphones, mixed with uh, GPS trackers, created wholesale revolutions in all sorts of industries. So everything from Uber, like transport, dating, um communications everything changed as a result of 4G smartphones and GPS devices um and that changed the way we do banking it changed the way we do uh travel like it changed the way that we meet our partner um all of that shifted as a result of just those few innovations the level of innovations that are just being rolled out now 5G internet of things voice to text uh machine learning AI uh all of that is the next level on top of that and that's going to totally transform the world uh here's some big changes that are coming uh for the last 30 40 years the name of the game has been get yourself to a big city um like london like new york um like sydney the name of the game is going to be get out of a big city because it's too expensive and you can't compete globally if you're in a big city so with 5G and fast internet and, uh, and and everyone working on Zoom, the idea of living in London with London overheads, um, where you have to earn 80,000 pounds a year to live a comfortable life versus being somewhere where you could live a better life on 40 or 50,000 pounds a year, means that you're going to have a lot of people get out of the cities. Um, in the last 75 years, you've had a world that is moving towards global integration. And that was completely based upon the U.S. um, order, the the um, military order of uh, uh, alliance, the military alliance that the U.S. created post World War II, where the U.S. agreed to police all of the oceans and police the whole world in exchange for everyone working together against the Russians. So basically, that world order has come to an end, and we're just drifting at the moment. But As soon as the U.S. says we're not going to police the police everywhere the only reason the U.S. was policing things after the year 2000 was because they wanted to have a very certain supply chain of oil um and as soon as you say that we that the U.S. is oil independent which they were from March this year um where they completely have achieved energy independence the U.S. is dropping its defense spending from four and a half percent of GDP down to three and a half percent of GDP down to two and a half percent of GDP um, and basically the U.S. doesn't want to be the policeman of the world and everyone's like, oh, yeah, we don't want the U.S. to be the policeman of the world anyway, <laughs> right? But here's the thing. We've only ever known a peaceful world order based upon having the U.S. police in the world. What mm. happens when What happens when China has to get all of its energy from the Persian Gulf round past Pakistan, down through India, down through Philippines, down through Malaysia, up past Singapore and back up to China? Um, how does that work, right? How does, you know... Like all of these kind of things, you know, is China going to create its own military? Is it going to have a massive navy? Um, who's going to let China have a massive navy? How's it all going to How's it all going to work? So, what's basically going to happen is a lot of confusion is going to be on the open seas, and everyone's going to move blue collar manufacturing jobs back close, and we're going to have all of these, the ability to produce stuff. iPhones will be made in Mexico, and we'll, you know, we'll have factories with automation and robots closer than ever Um, and what will actually move is white-collar jobs are going to go to the Philippines and white-collar jobs are going to go to India and white-collar jobs are going to go to uh voice automated robots and the from from the 1970s onwards you had blue-collar jobs decimated and outsourced overseas and what we're actually going to have is blue-collar jobs return and white-collar jobs decimated and outsourced overseas. Um, and there's going to be a, a massive shift um coming in the next you know we're going to see the 2020s is going to be the greatest transfer of wealth north south east west old young um tech savvy poor rich rich getting richer poor getting poorer um, but the poorest of the poor getting richer like um like it's a it, it is a incredible time to be yeah. an entrepreneur because the 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 whole world is up for grabs, and everything's everything's about to shift, and everything's about to change.
0: I love that. I love the ending. Super, super, super positive um, ending. Um, what 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 would be your um your, just to kind of fin- finish out on a on a super high? What would be your uh, your words to any entrepreneur who's watching this, who's who's you know pretty pretty, pretty scared about what's going on around them, and pretty uncertain. Um, and, you know, just just needs a a few words of inspiration that will kind of help them them get over it and get through it.
1: So very simply, um, entrepreneurs exist to solve problems at scales Um, and the world has more problems than ever, which means there's more opportunities than ever. So problems create opportunities for entrepreneurs. If there were no problems, there'd be no business opportunities. Um, If there was nothing that needed solving, there wouldn't be a need for many entrepreneurs. So um, essentially... The the job of the entrepreneur is to stay solution focused, to embrace problems, to look for problems, uh, and happily get on with solving problems and finding ways to to solve problems. Um, so problems create opportunities. Uh, opportunities entrepreneurs who are successful. So um, you know the the key idea here is that is that um, the, the the greatest asset in the times that we're in is an entrepreneurial mindset.
0: Amazing. I love that. Um, Daniel Priestley, thank you so much for coming My on, pleasure, mate. For me what's the best place for everyone to get in touch with you?
1: Oh, they should leave me alone. Zoom. <laughs> Bloody jumping in on <laughs> you're Zoom. Gonna, call, you're right?
0: gonna do a you're gonna do a Raj in a second. When I asked Raj that, he said he said, um, was it Raj? I think Raj said, they gotta send me a um, a sixty second voice message on Instagram. No mm. less than sixty seconds, otherwise there's not enough, there's not enough meat there. And no more. I haven't got time for more than that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, the yeah, best someone,
0: thing, else, someone else said you just you just got to Google me.
1: Yeah, just uh, <laughs> I'm on all the platforms other than TikTok, um, and I love all the platforms other. I'm not doing a TikTok thing just yet. Um, uh, books. A invention plan, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the 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 group Facebook group um, reset reinvent. So just search oversubscribed reset reinvent, um, and um, other than that, come around for tea.
0: Amazing. Daniel, thank you, mate. Really appreciate it. Cheers. We really hope you enjoyed this
1: episode. If you want to be the first to get access to our live interviews, then head over to eftonext.com to apply to be a part of our online community.